Praise God. Uh, thanks, Sirkin, for sharing. I think, you know, when you uh, hear his background uh, from, from uh, Bulgaria through Turkey coming here, um, an earthquake changed his life, uh, got him to think about the things of God. We sing that song, um, though the earth will shake and battles rage, we know that our God reigns, uh, the reign of God, the sovereignty of God that would orchestrate all these events to bring Circuit to the saving knowledge of Jesus, and we praise God for that. Uh, can you look to the person next to you and say, our God reigns? Can you say that? Our God reigns. Say it with conviction. <laughs> our God reigns, yeah. <clears throat> so we're in the, uh, the, the time of year, the season of year where uh, graduation fever has begun to strike us. Um, anyone graduating in the next couple months? Okay, from a uh, few of us from grad school, I, I, I know, uh, some of us will be going to grad school graduations, we'll be going to college graduations, we'll be going to high school graduations. Some of you, your older siblings are graduating and you're really excited, you've got the date marked out because you're going to skip school that day and you're super excited, you've never been to a graduation before, but um, this is exciting to you. Can I uh, burst your bubble a little bit? Uh, stay in school that day if you can. Graduation is no fun. It's going to be more fun for you to be in school than it is in graduation. Uh, we've been going, man, I've been going for the past 17 years to graduations, and I love the fact that we could celebrate. Man, I really do. It's hard work, God's faithfulness, the grace of God. Your parents have supported you, your friends, and you've gotten to that point in your life. <laughs> but can we be real for a second? We're going to spend about two hours sitting in an auditorium literally waiting so that we could scream for five seconds and then walk out of there. And then you factor in, you got to drive to and from those places, which are Amway Arena, UCF, which are nowhere close to our home. Got to drive all the way out there. <clears throat> you got to find parking. Uh, if I'm going to graduation this year, don't take, this, take offense by it. Even at our own children's graduation from like preschool, we're like, man, this is so boring. E I mean, when they were on stage singing, it's cute, but it's still boring to us. I'm like, man, I'm like checking my phone. I'm really bad, really bad. I'm like looking at my phone and watching YouTube and reading about sports news while our kids are up there. Graduation is boring because when you walk into that room, that gym, whatever it is, that auditorium, they're going to give you a piece of paper. It's going to have hundreds of names that you cannot read because the font is so tiny and because you can't read it, they're going to have somebody stand up in front of a microphone, and they're going to read these names for you. It's painfully boring for 800 names, one by one, by one, by one, by one. Guess what? We've come to the point in Nehemiah chapter 3 where we've come to the graduation ceremony, and this could be considered to be one of the more boring passages of Nehemiah. In fact, um, there are a lot of passages in Nehemiah that are like this. There are several chapters where they just go on, and Nehemiah, for whatever reason, decides to write a bunch of names down, right? Chapter 12, chapter 10, chapter 7, bunch of places where he just starts listing these names. And if you get to chapters 1 and 2, to me, have been really exciting. They've been pretty exciting for us. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Chapter 3, if you're reading this, I know some of you, hopefully you read this during your devotional time this week. You read this, and you're like, man, what is he going to talk about? This is mad boring. There's one book that a man named Chuck Swindoll, who's a great preacher, great uh, pastor, he wrote this book called Brick by Brick about the, the book of Nehemiah, and he just skips over chapter 3. 
It just completely skips over it. And there's nothing to talk about here. Today I want to talk about Nehemiah chapter 3 and come to one of the more boring passages in Scripture. If you're sitting in a graduation service, okay, as you're listening to this mundane roll call of names, one thing perks our attention when we hear the name of the person being called, but then there's another thing where sometimes you're sitting next to somebody uh, who knows people in the school, or they know something about some of the people there, and they start giving you side commentary about the people who are graduating. That's when things, you you begin to perk up a little bit, and you say, hey, tell me more about these people. See that guy that just graduated, you know, Alex, whatever? He's only 10 years old. Like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. How did he do it? Well, you know, he was born, uh, his parents are geniuses, and by the age of two, you know, he knew the capital of every country in the world, and so he could have graduated when he was eight, but he graduated when he was 10. And you look at him, you're like, yeah, you know, I can see he's like tiny, but that's awesome. Tell me more. And, and oh, you know, that girl who graduated just now, she just walked across the straight stage, the one with the, the, she didn't wear a cap and gown, she wore a tiara. Her dad is like the king of an island nation in the Caribbean, this tiny little na- nation, and, and, and everybody knows her. She's got like... Uh, Sirkin got a BMW when he, he was 16. She got a BMW when she was 8. Like, she's crazy. This girl's crazy. Start telling you all these stories. And then you're like, man, this is really exciting. And that breaks up this humdrum, mundane roll call of people because you begin to hear the stories behind them. What I want to do today is I want to read through. Well, I'm not going to actually read through the whole chapter. But what I want to do is I want to read parts of the chapter. This is the roll call of the graduates of the Jerusalem School of Rebuilding. And I want to tell you some of the stories about these people in order that they might come alive to us. And as they come alive, the people will leap off the pages of Scripture, maybe not literally. They'll leap off the pages of Scripture and they will instruct us in how we can also become rebuilders of the things that are broken that we see and care about in the lives of around us. For two weeks we've been talking and we're reminded of the fact that we're camping out in this place about 445 years before Jesus was born. We're reading the diary, the journal entries of a man named Nehemiah who was the highest position outside of the king in the mighty Persian empire. He was a cupbearer to the king. He finds out from his brother, his friend, that for the past 140 years, 141 years to be precise, then the city of Jerusalem and its walls and its temple have been devastated, been burned down, been in destruction, they've lied in ruins, and it's been like that for over 140 years. And it says that when Nehemiah heard this, his heart was crushed and he began to weep. And over a period of four months, he weeps over the brokenness of the great city of God. And for four months in weeping, in fasting, in praying, he finally goes before the king, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and in this four-minute conversation backed by four months of prayer, he says, hey, this is the situation. And at the end of that conversation, the king blesses him with all the money that he needs, all the resources that he needs, and with the permission to go and to begin the process of rebuilding the walls. And so Nehemiah goes back, he rests for three days, and then he surveys the situation, and then he goes to his people. He's like, here's the deal, guys. The city of God is jacked up. But God will give us success if anyone is willing to join me in rebuilding the walls that are broken. Who's with me? Let's do this. We can do this together. And the people responded, and they said, yeah, let's rebuild these walls. This is where we come in chapter 3, and the question is, How's this going to happen? 
because you stand in the middle of the walls and you realize that as far as you can see, from one end to the other for two and a half miles, you've got to rebuild this wall that's been crushed and raised and devastated, two and a half miles, 40 feet high, and eight feet long, eight feet deep, eight feet thick. How are you going to do this? Two things that I want to look at together as we look into the builders of the wall here. The first thing I want to look at is who are the people who actually get to rebuilding, and two, how is it what attitude do they have as they seek to rebuild that which is broken in the, in the city of God, in the place that they care about? The first thought I want to bring out to us today is this. Every person in the community has a role to play in the rebuilding. Okay? Every person in the community has a part to play in the rebuilding. If you consider wherever it is that you've seen the brokenness, you've seen the broken walls here in our church, if you consider yourself to be part of our church here at Harvest, then you have a part to play, and apart from you, the work of God will not be done in the way that it needs to be done. If you see broken walls in your youth ministry, and you consider yourself to be a part of our youth ministry, then it's your job and it's your role to be a part of rebuilding that which is broken. If you look at your house church and you say, you know what, I'm not going to go to my house church anymore because these things are wrong with it. If you consider yourself to be part of that house church, then you have a part to play in rebuilding that which is broken because every person in the community has a part to play in rebuilding, in the rebuilding process of the walls that are broken. <clears throat> Last week, this is what I said, and this is what we saw in Nehemiah. We said, if you care, if you care, then it's your calling. The calling to rebuild is lie, lie squarely on the heart and on the shoulders of those who care. That's your calling. And maybe some of you have walked out of here saying, you know what? I see the brokenness around me. I see the things that are messed up. Man, I don't have that. Like, I don't have this four-month kind of weeping, mourning sense of calling. I don't know. Maybe you do. But in every generation, there might be one or two or three of these people. And what I was calling for is, hey, there could be a Nehemiah in our generation, a weeping prophet, a weeping cupbearer who's going to change the world in your day. There will always be history makers on every, in every generation, and the question is, why not you? Okay, why not you? Why not Christian Artigas? Why not Joel? Why not some of us? Right? Why not us? And that's a question that I put out there because it only takes one person who feels that heartbeat and says, this is my calling, and this is what I'm going to give my life to. Last week, we heard from a man named Frank, and his life calling is, I want to give my life to see orphans find homes. And maybe as you're sitting here, you felt like that's my calling also. I want to do this. I want to rebuild the brokenness in homes all around the world where parents have left their children to be cared for by somebody else. Maybe that's your calling in life. Maybe you don't have that calling, but as you're hearing him talk, you felt this conviction within you. Like, man, my heart beats for this. This might not be what I give my life to, but there's a conviction in my heart that I cannot shake throughout this whole service, and I want to give my life to this. Some way, I'm going I'm to pick up a kid, and I'm going to sponsor them. Maybe you don't have a calling, you don't have a conviction, but you know the command of God is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and you said, man, if that's the command of God, i got to do something. Either way, wherever you are, last week, about 23, 23 children were picked up to be sponsored and, and, and adopted by us in here. For whatever reason you chose to do that, you did, because you saw the walls that are broken, and you wanted to be part of fixing that. 
Okay, maybe you're not called to be the Nehemiah who's going to rebuild the wall and be the one to say, let's do this. But you're saying in your heart of hearts, if there's a Nehemiah, if somebody rises up, if somebody says, hey, let's go rebuild that which is broken, you're saying, hey, I'll do it. I'll go. Whatever it takes, I'll do it. I don't have that fire in my belly to mobilize people, but I'll be, I'll go. I'll do it. If you call me to go, I'll do it. Maybe that's your conviction. Maybe you don't even have that conviction, but you know in your heart, man, this is what God has commanded us to do. It doesn't matter how that motivation comes. Here's the reality. Okay, listen to me here. If you consider this to be your church, then it's on you to be part of rebuilding the walls that are broken. You need to be the one praying. You need to be the one fighting. You need to be the one laboring. You need to be the one saying, give me another brick, because this is on you. Whatever community you're involved in. Whatever community you're a part of, if you see it, it's on you. Whether that's your calling, it's a conviction, or it's just a command of God, that's on you to do something about it. Verse 1, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work. Verse 2, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri. Verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Verse 4, Miramoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakkaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. Next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Verse 6, the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joladah, son of Pat. On and on and on and on it goes. It just lists all these people who said, I'm all in. I'm in. I'll do this. I'm not Nehemiah, but I'll do this. In fact, Nehemiah's name doesn't even show up in chapter 3. He's saying, this is not about me at all. This is about these people because the work of rebuilding, the work of rebuilding lies in the people who live in that community and consider that community to be their people. But look at, the, look at the variety of people. Verse 1 again, the high priest and fellow priests. Okay? These are the kind of High priests, man, this is what they do. They take animals and they slaughter them. They don't build walls. But they're saying, I'll be part of the rebuilding process. And then the other priests get involved also. Look in verse 8. Uziel, son of Harhalah, one of the goldsmiths. This cat spends his life making gold jewelry. He says, I'll be involved in rebuilding the walls because these are my people. Because this is my community. Look at the, continue in verse 8. It says, there are perfume makers. Like people who make perfume saying, I'll rebuild the walls. I never built a wall before in my life. But hey, these are my people. I'm going to do it. And so the perfume makers go and they begin to rebuild the walls. You've got not only these people, but in verse 9, Rephiah, son of her, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem repaired the next section. He's a ruler. He's a political dude. He's a city official. He says, I'll get involved in the rebuild. Uh, you go on and on. There's all these rulers. Verse 14, Malchiah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakam. All kinds of people, wherever they are, whatever walk of life, saying, this is my city. These are my people. I'm going to be involved in the rebuilding of its walls. Not only that, look at verse 12. This is cool. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. <laughs> so it's not just, hey, uh, all the men who can do the heavy lifting, come on out, we're going to rebuild the walls. But this guy said, hey, daughters, come on out, we're going to do this together because these are your people, this is your city. Come on out. Everybody. What's he saying? Man or woman, boy or girl, anybody who considers this to be your people, Okay, you need to be involved because you've got a part to play. The women are not just, it, it doesn't say, it, 
Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district, Jerusalem, repaired the next section, and his daughters brought them lunch and brought them Gatorade and said, you could do it. And the daughters stood on the sidelines saying, be aggressive, be aggressive. They're not doing that. They're not the cheerleaders. They're getting their hands dirty, and they're saying, these are my people. We're going to do this together. Where do we start? Uh, look at what it says in verse 2, at the end of verse 2. Well, not at the end of verse 2. Um, let's, verse, uh, verse 22. Okay, verse 22. This is what it says. Uh, 23, beyond them, Benjamin and Hassab made repairs in front of their house. If you keep on reading, it says, Ananias, son of Ananias, made repairs beside his house. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. All these people, they, where do they start? Where do you start rebuilding when you've got two and a half miles of wall to build? Forty feet high, where do you start? It says you start right in front of your house, right where you are. Okay, right where you are. You start rebuilding right here because God's put you there. Hey, listen, you might not care about the walls across the, 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 the way, but you care about the walls in front of you, don't you? You care about the wall in front of your house, you start right where you are. Where has God placed you right now? Some of, us, some of us don't feel like we can rebuild because we're waiting to go to another place in order to rebuild. God says, hey, you want to you rebuild there, you need to start right where you are. Because where you are, you need to be all there. Be fully here. The ones who are most faithful in their next call are the ones who are most faithful in their present call. What's God called you to do right now? Okay, you're finishing out this school year as a Sunday school teacher, and your term is up, and you can't wait to do something else. Can I tell you, you need to finish well because what you do right now is preparing you for the next season of service. Where God has put you right now, you do that to the best of your ability, and you build the walls there. God didn't call you to build the whole wall of Jerusalem. He said, you start right where you are, in the place where you are. Because you care about that place because he's put you there. That means in your house church. That means in your family, right? You take care of business there. That means in your Sunday school class. That means in that ministry responsibility that you've got. You do that to the best of your ability and you rebuild that place. Your workplace. You see it in ruins because you talk about it all the time. He's saying, I put you there in order that you might be a blessing, that you could rebuild that which is broken right there. You see it. <clears throat> and now you're responsible to rebuild there. I used to think that um, this story was kind of silly and, and, and cheesy, but uh, the older I get, man, I, I begin to realize uh, it is kind of cheesy, but it's also powerful to me. There's uh, this old man who lived on the, on the beach, and one morning he woke up and he realized that the tide at night had brought in a bunch of starfish and had beached them on the sand, thousands of them, as far as uh, you could see. And he looked at them and he said, you know, poor starfish, they're never going to make it. The sun's going to come out. It's going to roast them. Uh, they're all going to die. So many of them. What a shame. In the distance, he saw this little boy stoop down and throw something into the ocean. And he saw him kept, kept, keep on doing that. He realized this little boy is just picking up starfish and throwing them into the water. He said, silly boy, maybe in his cynical old state. He said, silly boy, he doesn't understand. There's too many of them can't save them all. What's he going to do? It's not going to make a difference for one or two starfish to get thrown back into the water. So as he walked 
along the beach, and as the boy started getting closer, the old man said to him, hey, son, what you doing? He said, these starfish, as if the old man didn't know, these starfish are going to die if they don't go back at the water. And so I'm picking them up, I'm throwing them back in. Will you help me? The old man said, I've lived out here for all of my life. I've seen this all the time. They're not going to make it. There's just too many of them. It's no use. What's the use in throwing them back when, do you see, you have to keep on, you can walk miles upon miles and you'll still see these starfish. You can't make a difference. And the boy said, I may not be able to rescue all of these starfish, but for this one, I'm making a difference. And he threw it as far as he could into the water. And I'm making a difference in this one. And he threw it in the water. I'm making a difference in this one. You might not be able to make a difference in everybody's lives. You might not be able to save all of the orphans in the world. But what you did was you gave life to one. You gave life to one. You gave hope and you gave a future to one of them. You might not be able to fix all the walls that are broken, but where you are right now, you can make a difference right where you are. That's all God's calling you to do, to start right there. You start right there. You're faithful. You build up that wall. Then you can move on to the next place. You find the next wall, the place that needs repairing. But you have a part to play right now. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you're part of the community, then it's on you to do something. You see people who are, uh, you see, I don't know, middle school boys, middle school girls. You see kids that are doing stuff that they ought not to be doing. And you think, man, when I was their age, I didn't do stuff like that. He's calling you to go beyond that. Go beyond that. Fix those walls that are broken by the power of God in your life. You pray about that, and then you get involved. You dream of a better day, and then you take steps to fix that. Make it better. You see single people who are wasting their lives doing things with whatever it is, and, and you're like, man, when I was in my 20s, I wasted my life in that way, and I don't want them spending all of their days on video games getting fired from their job like I did. And you think about that. You see that. Go do something about it. That's on you. You can make a difference in the lives of these people. That's why you're there. You start where you are. That's why God's put you where you are. You build that wall in front of your house. But man, the wall is so big. How are we ever going to do this together? 28 times in chapter 3, in the 32 verses, starting in verse 2, Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The end of, uh, in, in the middle of verse 4, next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Goes on and on 28 times. It says, I looked and I saw next to me were these guys fighting. And next to me was this guy. Next to me was this guy. 28 times. It says the people looked next to them and they said, man, what I'm doing is making a difference in their lives too. I'm not just building a wall for myself. I'm building it for these guys. I'm building it for the people around. I'm building it for the next generation. I'm going to build my wall as best as I can because there are people next to me who are doing the work and we can do together what I cannot do by myself. And that's what Nehemiah understood. He said, let's rebuild this together. You house church shepherd, you get people in your house church to begin praying for your house church like you do and see if things don't change. Don't do it by yourself. You get other people and you fight and you labor together. These Sunday school teacher, you find someone in your class that cares, and you say, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's see revival. Let's rebuild these walls together. You start something. You start small, but you start where you are because you know that next to you, somebody else is doing something. And together, you will see these walls begin to go up. In 2010, our second year in Ecuador, a group of us went, 10 people went down to Ecuador and we weren't rebuilding walls. We were building walls of a church in a little village called Sinangue. 
in order to do that, we had to move a thousand cinder blocks. Okay, these big old cinder blocks with the holes in them, right? Not the cinder blocks that you break for, uh, for Taekwondo tests, but the, the big cinder blocks. There's 10 of us there. Uh, one of our guys, I don't know if he's here today, but a, a brother named Andrew M. was on that, was part of that trip. And Andrew said, he, he looked at that stack of 1,000 cinder blocks uh, sitting up on top of a hill, and he said, man, I hope we have nothing to do with those. Soon thereafter, they told us, Andrew, <laughs> it wasn't just Andrew, they said, we got to move these 1,000 blocks to where? See all the way over there on top of that hill? We got to move them. See that thing over there? We can't see it. I can't see it. This is what we had to do. We had to move a 1,000 cinder blocks from where they were. We don't, I don't even know how they got. It's like, I said in first, it's like Stonehenge, man. We don't know how these things got here. Like who brought these blocks here? But they're sitting there. We had to move them down about 30 yards to the shore. Then we had to walk them across a river that was like knee-deep in water, right? Knee-deep or thigh-deep in water. We had to walk them across the water, about from here to the sound booth. So that's probably about 20, 20, 30 yards again. And we had to drop them on the island. We had to wait for the canoe to come, one canoe at a time. We would throw these blocks in. We would send them across the river. We would take the blocks out of the canoe and onto the shore. We would take them up another hill that was I think it was about 45 degrees. Some people swear it was 90 degrees, but it was about 45 degrees, muddy. And then we'd have to take it another 150 yards to another place, to another hill, and then take it up that other hill, and then the final 20 yards to the church building. It was insane, insane, insane stuff. So here's Andrew looking at that pile, thinking, man, I wish we didn't have to do that. How would we move a thousand blocks that's going to build a church? We're going to do it one block at a time, and we're going to do it one person at a time. So for each of these seven different stations we had to go to, we built an assembly line, and we just passed block by block by block. And then we get to the next place. All right, reposition. You guys go in the water. I'm not going in the water. I can't swim. Okay, you go on the other side. So we would pass these bricks across, and then we'd get them into the boat. Who wants to go in the boat? I don't want to go in the boat, man. You got cinder blocks. That thing is going to fall. It's going to sink. In the okay, send some people across who can swim real well, and then start taking them back up. And at the end, we look back, and we realize, man, we have moved 1,000 blocks. That's on average. Every one of the 10 of us touched with our hands, a thousand cinder blocks, seven times each. That's crazy. But at the end, we were able to build the walls of a church where people who at that time did not know Jesus could come and worship God. Because we realized the only way we're going to do it is if we do this together. And together, we can do what no individual can do alone. The first thing that we see is that every single one of us is touching blocks because you're needed in the building and the rebuilding of the walls that you see that are broken. It's the first thing. Second thing that we see is that rebuilding requires sacrifice for the sake of something bigger than yourself. It's the glory of God. 
when Nehemiah calls these people to build, what is the incentive that he gives to them? Guys, at the end of this trip, at the end of this rebuilding, we're going to go eat some really good Korean barbecue. <laughs> you can say that. At the end of this, man, we're going to celebrate. Uh, I'm going to buy you all a new car or a new home. Or it's none of that. He says, I don't have anything to offer to you. This is Winston Churchill when he rises up amongst the British people as Hitler's people, army, marches onward. He says, I have nothing that I can promise you but blood, sweat, and tears. But let's do this for the sake of our country. And they rose up as one man and they said, let's do this. Why? Because every single one of you and every single one of us has within us a desire to live for something that is bigger than our own lives. To live for something that's going to outlast the days on earth that God gives us to have. We all want to live for something bigger than ourselves. And that's why some people, the biggest thing they're living for is their sports team. Oh, man, I can't wait for, I've been waiting all these years for the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. And, well, you finally did it. I can die a happy man. Happy as he is, it's really sad. Some of us, the biggest thing we're living for is to see the dollar signs passed on to the next generation. That's great and all, but they're going to ask you, what good is it for me to gain the whole world and lose my soul? What really matters? Every single one of us has a desire to live for something bigger than our own lives. And what Nehemiah can offer to the people is nothing, nothing except for the glory of God. Your glory goes beyond all fame. Says, will you see that and will you rise up and will you be willing to make a sacrifice in order that the name of God might be propagated amongst the generations to come? And they rose up as one man and they said, come, let us build together. Man, this is awesome. Look at some of these people. Look at some of the places where they came from. Verse 2, the men of Jericho. Okay, Jericho, mind you, is not part of Jerusalem. The men of Jericho come. They're coming from all over. Verse 5, they come from Tekoa. Verse 7, Gibeon and Mizpah. Uh, verse 13, they're coming from Zenoa. They're coming in verse 14 from Beth Hakam. You could Hakram. You could go on and on. Beth Zur, uh, district of Kila. Right? All from all around people are coming to build a wall. This is not in front of my own house. I'm just building a wall because I want to be part of something bigger than my own life. I want to build for the glory of God. These are people who have no skin in the game saying, I will build the walls of Jerusalem because the glory of God is at stake. This is missions here. This is missions. It's people saying, I'm going to build a wall in Ecuador, in the Dominican Republic, that's going to benefit me nothing. I will take no benefit in this, but for the glory of God, I want to go. Because I want to see the glory of God scattered amongst the nations. It's why our sister's going to Asia and spending her life there, at least three years of her life. Because she wants to see the glory of God rise up amongst those people. We have an eighth grader named Rachel Lee. You guys know, may know Rachel. Okay, there's Rachel. Say hi, Rachel. Rachel said, I saved up my allowance money. And here I want to give this to you in order that you could tell people in Asia about the God that I know and worship. She's building walls for a people that she's never before met. We have a seventh grader named Jessica. And she said, okay, sister who's going to Asia, 
for the next three years, I'm going to babysit kids. And the money that I get babysitting kids, I'm going to send that so that you can help people in Asia come to know Jesus. Caring for a people that she's never met before, rebuilding a wall that is broken that has nothing to do with her own life, but saying, I want to build because the glory of God matters to me. Seventh grade, eighth grade, what about us? What are we doing? What are we doing to rebuild the walls that are broken? Yeah, in our community, in our church here, but what are we doing around the world when you see the brokenness? Because that's our walls. That's our people. That's our God and his glory. Wherever, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's brokenness, you can feel, you can see, you can understand, and we can do something about it. That's on us. You see, in this, in chapter 3, it's, it's a who's who list of people who are rebuilding the walls. But here's a th- sad thing in verse 5. It says, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Okay? So the people of Tekoa rebuilt this next section. But look at what it says. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They said, we're too good for this, or we don't want to do this, or we want to remain comfortable, or we ain't listening to anybody's instructions. We don't want to do this. So the men of Tekoa were called out by Nehemiah. Said all these other people are going to receive an inheritance because of what they did, but the men of Tekoa, they didn't do jack. They just sat there because they wanted to be comfortable. They didn't want to take orders from somebody because the glory of God was not worthy enough in their minds to do something about it. We're all sacrificing for something, my friends. We're all sacrificing for something. What's that thing for which you sacrifice right now? Because they saw the glory of God is worth giving everything I have for. There are people in here, and you can see it. They not only built the section in front of their own home, but there's three, four, five people who said they went to another section, and they started rebuilding somebody else's walls. Because they said, we want to be involved in the work of God wherever it. They didn't just say, I finished my part. I'm done. I taught my youth ministry. I taught Awana. That's all I'm going to do. They said, no, I want to do more. I want to do more. What more can I do? Some of us have this how much do I have to do attitude? They had this, how much do I get to do for the glory of God? Man, I want to I build as much of the wall as I can. That's what they were saying. What about us? Do we stop after having done our duty? Like a server at a restaurant? I only worked until 10 o'clock. My time is done. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. My son is choking. Can you give him the Heimlich? I'm off duty. Uh, let me go call somebody else who's actually working right now. Excuse me, sir, I, 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 I dropped my glass and, and my daughter cut her foot on, on, on the glass. Can you help me? Oh, no, I'm, I, I'm off the clock. I already signed out. I'm sorry. Let me go, get, let me go get, get Claire. She'll come and help you. These guys didn't clock in and out. They said, whatever I can do, I want to do. Look, at, here's one of my favorites. This is cool. Verse 20. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabel, zealously repaired another section. From the angle to the entrance to the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Literally, it says when it says zealously repaired, it says Baruch was glowing as he repaired another section. Saying, this cat was on fire as he rebuilt the walls. Some of you young people would say, Baruch was lit. (laughs) He was glowing for the glory of God. Come on. Yeah. You don't need to be hip. 
right? I, you don't need to know the language to understand what it means that he was glowing. He was on fire for the glory. People looked at dang, look at Baruch go. That, he's building walls. He wasn't just ho-hum, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work I go building this wall. He was like in fuego. When the rebuilding of the walls are written and our names are in it, what's it going to say? They were like the men of Tekoa. They didn't lift their hand. Or they built the wall in front of their house. Then they went on vacation. Or they say, but this brother in our church, this sister in our church, she was on fire for the glory of God. She gave everything she had. He gave everything that he had because he knew that he only lived once. He wasn't going to make excuses like this is not my gifting. There are perfume makers in there getting their hands dirty to build the walls. I ain't gifted. Come on. There are rulers of towns saying, I'm going to get my hand. I've never built a wall before, but you tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. I like Baruch, but here's my favorite guy in this. Verse, <laughs> where did he go? Verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malchiah, Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it, put his doors and bolts and all that stuff in place. Son of Rechab, he's a ruler, okay? Malchijah. In Nehemiah 3, there's three people named Malchijah. This one doesn't say he's a son of Rechab. There's another son of another guy. And then at the end of the chapter, there's another uh, Malchijah. So it may be the same guy. Um, but it's interesting. Must have been a popular name in those days. No one named Malchijah these days. But uh, maybe if you have another kid, you might name your kid Malchijah. Because this guy repaired the dung gate. When I was reading this, I started laughing. I'm so childish. Ha, the dung gate. You can laugh also. What is the dung gate? Is that some Hebrew word for something? No, the dung gate is the dung gate. <laughs> it's just the dung gate. It's a gate that leads out to the Kidron Valley, which is where all the trash and all the poop and all the refuse is thrown in and is burned. And of all of the gates, it was the dung gate that led out there. So you think of the dung gate today, that's exactly what it is. Ain't nobody want to work at the dung gate. I think as Nehemiah stood up and he's like, all right, everybody, here's your mission. You begin with what's right in front of you. You go and you repair the walls in front of your house, and when you're done, you come over, and I'll help you get the next mission. But then there are people from other towns that came over. Remember, people from Jericho, people from, uh, from Nekoa, from uh, Tekoa and other places. And here comes Malchijah. He's the ruler of Beth-Hakarim, right? That's a different place. So he comes. He doesn't have a home here. So you got this group of people. He says, all right, here are the list of the walls, that, the places of the wall and the gates that need to be rebuilt. Who wants the sheep gate? Oh, I'll take it. All right, write your name down. Go get them, tiger. Okay, we've got the fish gate. Okay, the fish gate is where all the merchants would bring in their fish to sell in the market. Who wants the fish gate? All right, good, David, go ahead and write David. All right, uh, next we've got the dung gate. Who wants the dung gate? Silence. I said, who wants the dung gate? The dung gate. And nobody's looking. Everyone's looking down at the floor. I don't want the dung gate. Ain't nobody want the dung gate. Dang it, I should have done the sheep gate. I should have done the fish gate, but the dung gate, man, I had to come up third. Shoot. Well, came out later. Who wants it? Nobody? Nobody? I'm going to start assigning. I'm going to start assigning. 
Malkaija, <laughs> you get the dung gate. Everybody, exhale. Thank God. I ain't got to do the dung gate. Thank God. Give me another gate. But Malkaija got the dung gate. Everybody's laughing, snickering. He got the dung gate. Malkaija got the dung gate. They're all laughing at him. And he stands up. He straightens up. He says, yes, sir. Whatever I can do. Whatever you want me to do. Whatever I can do. Even though I'm the ruler of a district. Whatever it takes in order to build for the glory of God, I will do it. Even if it stinks, even if nobody wants to do it, even if I'm all alone, even if nobody volunteers with me, for the glory of God, I will do this. And I will build this gate to the best of my ability. I thought about this. In 2008, we were doing an inner city outreach trip in Tampa. There was 30 of us in that outreach group. And about 20 of us were were guys, 20 of us were guys, really big, big guys, uh, guys like Isaac Lee and guys like Julius on, big, 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 strong guys um, who love to eat, yeah, love to eat. We ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, we ate some Cuban sandwiches, we ate some pizza, and they ate a lot. And when you eat a lot, if you're working properly, then you got to go to the dung gate a lot. <laughs> The problem is that for the men's room, for the boys' room, in that bathroom, there was only one toilet. For the girls, there were two toilets, for 10 girls. But for 20 guys, there was just one toilet. And so a lot of guys were having to hold their stuff. And so when you got a lot of guys who are eating a lot of food, and a lot of guys have to go to the bathroom a lot, but only one commode, means a lot of people are holding their stuff so that when they, they actually go to the bathroom, it's not pretty. It's been percolating within stomachs, and so it comes out nasty. So it got towards the end of our time there. It's the dung gate, man. The dung, dung gate doesn't show up all the time, so hopefully I'll start talking, stop talking about dung after this week. But it got towards the end of our time there, and I asked our people, I said, okay, guys, we've got to uh, do a few things to get ready for the next day. We need some people to set up the chairs, and some of the guys did that. We need some people to go upstairs and, and mix the lemonade and the big Gatorade things. And uh, Some of the guys assumed that girls would be up there, so they said they volunteered real quickly. I'll go up there and do that. Other people needed to mop the floors. We'll do that. Just need one guy uh, to clean the bathroom. And it was like Nehemiah asking someone to take care of the dung gate. Everybody just looked down. Just don't look at him. <laughs> don't look at him. He's going to see right through you, and he's going to call your name. He knows, he knows you don't want to do it. He smells fear. Does anybody want to clean the toilet? Man, nobody. I said, listen, before we go, okay, somebody needs to do it. So I'm just asking that somebody would do it. Okay? So someone just does it. doesn't matter who. That's cool. I walked out. was checking on some other stuff, and then I came in to see if anybody had done it. I walked in there. And I saw one of our high school guys, a brother named Hong Shin. He was sweating, 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 sweating on his hands and knees, grabbing onto that toilet as he was scrubbing down that toilet with everything that he had. And I looked at him and I said, man, there's a young man that God is going to use his life because he realizes that he's not too big for any task. 
said, I'm willing. I'm willing to scrub toilets for the glory of God. And so yesterday I was reading his testimony from that trip. And he said, in that one time I was on my knees scrubbing, not just the sink, not just the, the, the floors, but the toilet that had a guy sitting on it every hour. He said, I was so humbled that I got to serve God in this way. And there was a strange kind of joy that I felt because I felt that God was so happy with me. That's awesome. Scrubbing toilets for the glory of God. That's Melchizedek. Whatever it takes for my church. Whatever it takes for my people. Whatever it takes for my God. Even though I go alone. Even though nobody else does it. Even though people tell me I stink. Even though people tell me I'm wasting my time. I do it for the glory of God. One day, we're going to stand before God, and I don't think it'll be quite like this, but there will be a heavenly roll call called. There will be some who make it in by the grace of God, and that's it, because they, like the men of Tekoa, refuse to do any work. <laughs> There'll be no crown of glory for them. There'll be others who did their work faithfully, and the Lord God blesses them, honors them. Well done. There's some who do that, and then they go down another part of the wall and say, I want to build that wall. There are others who are glowing because they're on fire for the glory of God. And then there'll be some people, you might recognize them by the smell. You know they've been working to rebuild the dung gates. And they will receive the crown. And when we see Jesus... We will cast all these crowns before God anyways. See, chapter 1, verse, chapter 3, verse 1 begins at the sheep gate. They went to work and they rebuilt it. Chapter 3 ends full circle between the room above the corner and the sheep gate. Because Nehemiah, as he takes his tour of the walls of Jerusalem surrounding the city, comes full circle. Begins with the sheep gate. He ends with the sheep gate. It's where the faithful would bring in their lambs to offer in temple sacrifice to God for the forgiveness of their sins. Nehemiah wants them to remember the mercy of God that lets them do this. And I want you to remind, to be reminded that it always begins and it ends with the Lamb of God. who died for the sins of the world. In every place where gates need to be rebuilt, he died for the sins of people in Mexico, he died for the sins of people in India, died for the people of Mongolia, died for the people of Indonesia, died for the people of China, died for the people of North Korea, died for us. And whenever the work gets difficult, I want you to come and circle back around to the sheep gate. And remember the lamb. Whenever you feel like quitting, it's not worth it. Nobody sees what I do. Nobody recognizes. Nobody appreciates me. Remember the lamb. 
whenever you feel like, why do I get stuck doing the dung gate week after week after week? Remember the lamb. Whenever you feel like, I don't want to do this anymore. Why do I have to do this? My friends aren't doing it. Even my parents stopped doing it. Why do I have to do this? Remember the lamb. But I have to wake up so early. I have to stay so late. I didn't, it's not what I signed up for. I didn't know I was going to be in it for this long. Remember the Lamb and sing that song that we will sing for all eternity. Worthy is the Lamb of your sacrifice, of your life, of your efforts, of whatever it takes. All of us were meant to live for something bigger than our own lives. And he's saying, if you want to rebuild, you're living for the one thing that matters for all eternity. It's the glory of God. When the call is issued, will you rise up with us and will you rebuild? Because together, man, together there's no limits to what God can do through us. Together we can do what no person can do alone. Come, let's rise, let's rebuild, let's pray. Let's pray for a minute right now. Lord, I want to be a rebuilder. I don't want to just be a dreamer. I want to be a doer. I don't want to just see it. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get involved. Every man, woman, boy, or girl who calls harvest their home, who calls heaven their home, okay, this is on you. Okay, please don't think this is for the old person or this is for the younger person or this is for the people on the other side of the room. This is for you. This is you. This is you, sixth grader. This is you, seventh grader. Eighth grader, this is you, 50-year-old, 70-year-old, whomever you are. Okay, this is you, this is me, this is all of us. Together, by the grace of God, okay, rebuilding is a work of God, but he will do it through the hands and the feet of those who care and those who will rise up and say, God, I want to rebuild with you. You got a part to play, my friend. You do. Trust me. When you rebuild the walls, people are going to look at you next to them and say, man, I want to build better for them. I want to do my best because they're coming. We're working together. Let's rebuild. Let's pray together for a few moments. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? Where do you see the brokenness? Three weeks we've seen this. Let's go. Let's march. Let's rebuild together. Let's pray for a minute. I'll pray for us and we'll continue to worship as we give our tithes, our offerings, and our response to Him. Let's pray for half a minute to a minute right now. Just committing our lives to be rebuilders. Father in heaven, we thank you that it is grace people like Malkaija understood whatever I can do it's not I'll do whatever except for that one God whatever I can do I want to do it for your glory help us together to rise to rebuild in Jesus name